Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and for the, the wonderful opportunity that we have to come to you this morning. And as we read about the, the bronze basin and what it means to us throughout the, the theory of the, the tabernacle, Lord, I just pray that you would speak in me and through me this morning, that we would each leave from here being encouraged and challenged in our faith, and Lord, that we would learn more and more about you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I always knew it was going to make that noise. Water. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We can't live for very long without it. In fact, in, in lower sort of temperatures, it's only about four or five days that we really live without water. In higher sort of temperatures, we can only live about two to three days tops. It's a wonderful thing. We, we use it to cook with. We use it to wash our clothes in and ourselves. We use it to catch fish in. We boil our, our eggs in it. We make coffee with it. It's such a beautiful thing. Water, that is, not coffee. We need it to drink. And, and water, is, is, it has a high number of uses. A very high pressure stream of water can cut through very hard ob- objects like metal and stone and, and that sort of thing. And, and even a slow, steady flow of water can cut through a valley and move mountains of earth. I'm not talking about millions of years here over time. And as we continue our, our God in our midst series through looking at the furniture and the tabernacle, we're looking at the bronze basin. And if you hear, my, hear me say bronze basin or bronze laver, it's one and the same thing. I will get mixed up, I'm sure. The bronze basin was for the, the priests to wash their hands in when they were ministering at the tabernacle. It was for the priests, Aaron and his sons, to wash their hands in while they ministered at the tabernacle. And we don't have any specifics for the bronze basin. Every other piece of furniture has how long, how high, and how wide it was supposed to be, but all we know about the bronze basin is that it's made of bronze, that it had a stand, and that it had to, it had to hold water. But one very interesting thing that we are told is, is where the bronze came from. We're told in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, where the bronze came from. It says, he made, that's Moses, um, no, it would have been Bezalel and the guys who made the, the tabernacle stuff, he made the bronze basin and its stand, stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Made from mirrors? Glass mirrors? No, bronze mirrors. The best mirrors of the time came from highly polished bronze or silver. And so these women donated these mirrors in order that the priests would have something to wash their hands in. They were willing to forego looking upon their beauty in order that the priests could have this basin. 
So there's an element of, of self-sacrifice of the, the donation of this bronze. But even though we don't know much about the, the size and the length and the height and the width and every other dimension of the, the bronze basin, we do know where it was placed in the, in the position of the tabernacle. No, sorry, we know its, its purpose. Its purpose was for, for continual washing. No, I didn't miss a page, that's good. Its purpose was for continual washing, for the priests were to wash their hands and their feet before they came to God to minister at the altar or if they entered the tent of meeting. And you can see that in verses 19 and 20 there, 19, 20 and 21. And which, which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord. They shall wash their hands with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. So clearly the purpose of the bronze basin and the water was that they to wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. If God says something once, you listen. If God says something twice, you doubly listen. Okay? So it's an important fact that that. God desires us to to have clean hands and feet in order to come to him. And the purpose of the bronze laver was to, I've said that already, wash their hands and their feet before they come ministering to God. I'm sure if you're walking around on a desert floor, you'd get dirt upon your feet, wouldn't you? And I'm sure if you're sacrificing animals and cutting them up in order for them to be burnt offerings, you'd get blood and other things on your hands and feet, wouldn't you? So the continual washing for, involved with the sacrificial system was so that the priests were not coming to God dirty. They were approaching the God who had rescued them out of slavery. They were approaching the God of the earth. And they were approaching God on behalf of the nation of Israel, on behalf of their sins. They were approaching God on behalf of their, their own sins. And, and they were approaching God in order to ask for forgiveness. If they were approaching God with unclean hands and feet, what sort of respect and honour is that towards a God who had rescued you, who had saved you? What sort of honour and respect is that to the God of the universe? Now, I did clear this with my child beforehand. Years ago, when when our girls were little, uh, one of them, I'm not going to mention names, one of them was about two years old, and we were doing some finger painting on the, the veranda of the house that we lived in at the time. And we were finished, packed up, and so their hands were covered with red, blue, yellow, green, all the different colours, which turns into that murky brown sort of colour. And so we told them to head inside while we hang out the, the pictures, head inside and wash your hands. 
Well, this particular child of mine, she, she came out and her hands were clean. There was no paint on them whatsoever. But before she'd washed her hands, she'd rubbed her face. And the only piece of her face that wasn't covered was where she had her eyes closed. It was great. It, was, it made for a really excellent picture. I tried to find it through the week, but I couldn't. But she'd done what she had told. She washed her hands. She had clean hands. But her face wasn't clean, was it? And so in the same way as the, the priests approached God... It wasn't just for a cosmetic washing of their hands and their feet. It wasn't just an outward washing of their hands and their feet. It was to signify that their hearts were right with God as well. That their hearts had been washed at the altar of sacrifice, which we looked at last week. But also that they knew that there needed to be a continual washing not just an outward washing, but a, a spiritual washing for the forgiveness of sins. And you can see that this leads us into the position of the bronze laver or basin. Verse 18, You shall make, also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the, altar, between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. So you can see the little blue circle there is the laver or the basin. And in between going to the, the altar of burnt sacrifice, the red square, and coming into the tent of meeting, the, the priests were to continually wash their hands and their feet. And you can see that this is testament to the relationship that we see now between the forgiveness of sins and the continual washing of a daily relationship with Jesus Christ. The sanctification of us. These are New Testament terms, justification and sanctification. But you can see the correlation here, can't you? You can see that to approach a holy and majestic God the priests had to offer up a sacrifice in order for their sins to be cleansed but then a number of times throughout the day they had to to offer up a, a sacrifice of washing their hands and their feet in order for them to be spiritually cleansed as well and God's followers the Israelites were not to treat him with disdain or disrespect but they were to 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 treat him with the honor and the, the majesty that he deserved and they were to never rest on the premise that, that a sacrifice of a bull or a goat or a lamb was going to completely wash them clean, that, that it was going to make them completely holy. And so the priests had to continually wash in order to be able to approach God in this way. And friends, it's not dissimilar to us. Even though we have been justified, that is, and I speak to Christians now, that, that we have made a conscious decision that we need forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we acknowledge our need for a saviour and that we acknowledge him as Lord of our lives, 
even though this is the case, there is a continual need for us to be washed day by day by the blood of Jesus. For us to be sanctified is the process of being made more and more holy. It's the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus, making, being made into his likeness. And throughout this series, we've been looking at, and it's the process of us being transformed into Christ's image or Christ's likeness. Throughout this series, we've, we've been looking at how the tabernacle points to Jesus or how it's fulfilled in Jesus. I don't know, I think I drew the short straw in this bronze basin idea. But you can see how, if you dig deep enough, how this bronze basin refers to Jesus and our, in fact, our walk with God, our Christian life. Grant's mentioned this already, and it's great when the worship leader and the, the preacher work in conjunction together through telepathic means <laughs> but Grant's mentioned John chapter 13 already and we can see how Jesus washes his disciples feet John chapter 13 verse 3 to 8 it's just after the last supper Jesus says Jesus knowing that the father had give all, given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing now you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus, the great high priest, as he's, as he's called in Hebrews, washing his followers' feet, Jesus, the soon-to-be sacrifice for sins, washing the feet of the very people whom he was going to be sacrificed for. Washing the feet of those who were about to be able to approach God in a new way. It's an amazing reversal of, of the concept of washing, isn't it? But can you see the correlation and also the difference between the bronze basin and what Jesus does here? Unless we are washed, then we cannot have any part with Jesus. And it's not just a physical washing, but a spiritual washing as well. There's this moment where justification takes place, a moment in time where the forgiveness of your sins are being made uh, uh, you have been made righteous 
The forgiveness of sins happens in one moment. But there is also that continual process of sanctification where we need to confess sins. We need to grow and grow in our holiness, grow in our godliness, grow more and more into the likeness of Christ, having our hearts and our minds transformed and renewed. Let me word it this way. We have been saved that moment in time. We are being saved, present tense. And then we will be saved, future tense, glorification. And it's this present tense of sanctification that we're talking about this morning. This continual washing, even though God has saved us, this continual washing of of our daily walk with God. And this continual washing is is completely under God's control, but it involves an element of our responsibility as well. We are responsible for allowing God to shape us, for allowing God to make us more holy, for allowing God to, to, turn away, to help us turn away from sin and temptation. We are responsible for exercising the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and to listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life. Can you see that there's there's as much responsibility on us in our Christian walk now as there is on God? But what does this process look like? Well, the short answer is by seeking God in every aspect of your life, he will make you more and more holy. But the long answer is fleeing temptation, removing sin from your life through prayer, through worship, through Bible reading, through communion with fellow believers, studying the scriptures, praying, being an encourager, encouraging others through their faith journey, fellowshipping with the community of grace. This is what being more holy looks like. And it's not just an act of, of outward display, it's an inward display as well. It's an inward change. By fleeing temptation and sin, we are being made more and more into the likeness of Christ. But by giving in to temptation, we are not being made more and more into the likeness of Christ. We are not, being, not increasing in godliness. And in fact, if we're allowing ourselves to be placed into to places of heightened temptation... I would say that this is also not growing in godliness. Have a look at James 4, 7 to 8. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Who does the drawing? Not drawing on paper, but moving closer. Who does the drawing first? 
James is speaking to the church and he's saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James is saying, God has already done everything in order to justify you. Now you need to continually draw nearer and nearer to him and he will draw you nearer and nearer to himself. Sometimes temptation can be hard, can't it? It can, be, it can seem too great to be able to fight that temptation. Well, if you look at Jesus' life, how did he fight against temptation? We looked at this in our home group this week where we're going through prayer and fasting. And when Jesus had, had spent some time in the desert, he'd fasted for 40 days. That's a very long time. And he was hungry and he was tempted by Satan. What did he do to, in order to fight that temptation? What does he do? He, he quotes scripture straight back at Satan and, and eventually tells him to get lost. Well, friends, we need to be able to read our Bible in order for it to stick in our heads and be able to recall it at a moment's notice to be able to stand on those promises that are, that are contained within Scripture, to be able to know the promises that, and the commands that are, that are in there in order to fight temptation. How will we know Scripture if we're not reading it and studying it diligently? How will we hear from God if it's closed on the shelf gathering dust? In order to know scripture and to be able to recollect it, it needs to be in our heads first. And so we must be reading it, and not just reading it in order to tick a box, but to study it diligently for it to equip us and change us, to, to notice the promises that are contained within, and to have scriptures on hand in order to fight against temptation. And also to have scriptures on hand that that help us endure hard times. Because hard times come. Another way to to be seeking God and to be moving forward in godliness is to seek him through prayer. And dare I say it, fasting. I'm not going to say for 40 days. We've been looking at this in our home group uh, and it's been blowing my mind the, the different prayers that we have in the Bible but also the mention of fasting and, and what people did in order for it to draw them closer to God. And the purpose of prayer is to not just bring a shopping list to God but to, to align our hearts with God's. To seek him with all of our hearts. To see him as more and more glorious. And as I said earlier, fellowshipping in the community of grace is another way of being sanctified. If we withdraw from from the community of grace, there's no opportunity for us to be encouraged in our faith. There's no opportunity for us to be Uh, Reproved in the things that we're not doing right and there's no opportunity for us to continue to grow in godliness 
And I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but if we, if we remove ourselves from, from this, our fire slowly goes out. We become more and more worldly. And we're not able to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith in order to grow in godliness. I haven't mentioned them all, but there's various ways for us to grow in godliness. And you can see that they work in conjunction with each other. They work in cooperation with each other in order that we grow in godliness. Do you see that there's a huge responsibility on us? A huge responsibility for us to desire God above all things above this world. It's not all up to God. That's a pretty bold statement. It's, it's partly up to us to increase our godliness, to work on our relationship with Christ, not in order to just try and please him, but to seek after him wholeheartedly. Friends, if, if we are faithful in little things, drawing closer to God... God will be faithful in big things when it comes time for the glorification of the saints. And just in the same way as we cannot live very long without water, we cannot live very long without Jesus as well. Without Jesus, we slowly decay, whereas with Jesus, we move towards godliness. An everlasting life. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, and she says to him, it says to her, He says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that was coming out of the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And there it is. Friends, this world cannot satisfy your hunger and thirst for God. Only God can satisfy the desire that is, that is in you to seek after God. Only God can satisfy that desire. So move to, towards him this week. Work on your godliness. Not just to try and satisfy God, but to obtain more and more of him. And to be changed more and more into his likeness. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the, the imagery that we have in the tabernacle of how it points to you and, and how it points to the, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, how it points to a continual washing of, of sanctification, how it points to the ability that we have to meet with God Most High. 
And Lord, what an encouragement that is to us. And I pray this morning that it was as we leave here this morning that we would desire you above all else. That we would desire you because you are the God who saved us. You are the God who is continually saving us and making us more and more like yourself. Pray, Lord, that we would notice the, the, uh, the improvement in our behaviour and character this week. Also, Lord, that we would also draw nearer to you with, with a desire to seek after you, a desire to see more of your glory and to praise you in that.